Well, it's Labor Day weekend. Isn't Labor Day weekend sort of a strange holiday when you think about it? Labor Day weekend, but most people don't work, so we take off from our labor, right? In fact, most people are sort of gone, so I'm just glad that you're here today. Thanks for coming to church, you know? But, you know, when I walked in this morning, nobody said, Happy Labor Day to you, right? I didn't get any Labor Day cards. Did you get any Labor Day cards? No. And, or Labor Day gifts. We didn't put any lights up on the house or anything. Labor Day, I mean, where did the idea of Labor Day come from anyway? I mean, to, to most of us, it just merely means the end of the summer, right? Yeah. Well, actually, you're right. The Labor Day did come. It goes all the way back to 1882. Uh, I think it was the Central Labor Union and the Knights of Labor. They decided they needed to have a holiday to celebrate all the hard work and what's been brought about through people's diligence, especially as unions were rising up at that time to, to help workers have a, a fair shake at things. Uh, they moved it to uh, September in 1887, big parade in New York City. I'm just glad whoever did that decided to do it so we could have an extra day off tomorrow, right? So, But uh, welcome to Labor Day weekend. And I want to uh, actually identify some with the aspect of Labor Day weekend and talk about our labor and ask you one simple question that overrides everything. Is the labor that you're laboring in a labor of significance or not? I want to read for you a psalm. And I don't know what you do with Scripture. Um, If you read it out loud, if you read it privately, some of you maybe listen to Scripture uh, as you're driving, commuting, or whatever, which is a great idea. But... um, I think it's very important sometimes to realize that Scripture, uh, before there was the printing press, was always a spoken word. And that spoken word was a word that was spoken over people. And so you sat underneath the hearing of the word. And so what I'd like you to do, you don't have to close your eyes, but I want you not to worry about following along. It's not going to be on the screens. But I want to read for you a psalm, Psalm 46. And as we read Psalm 46... I believe the presence of God is in a room like this. We sang about it, right? He is always with us. I want you just to open up your heart to receive the word of the Lord as we step into a discussion about the significance of what we do and a pause, a moment in time at the end of the summer in one sense and the transition into a fall kind of season that you would be open to what God would have for you in your life at this time. So here we go. Listen to these words just to receive them in. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts His voices. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations He has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. 
He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Whenever you find yourself needing to get anchored with some truth, to get a right-sized perspective on a world that's a little crazy for you personally, or even at large, I encourage you to go to the Scripture and let the voice of God speak through His Word into your life. It doesn't have to be a large volume of Scripture. It may just be small segments of Scripture, something to meditate upon. The tossings and the turnings. Go back and look at the Scriptures. I'm not going to ask for a raise of hands because it might be embarrassing. But how many of us spent time letting the Scripture rule over our life this very week? Oh, we let other things rule over our life, including schedules and responsibilities, important things without question. But let the Word of God rule over your life, and you will do well, no matter what the highs and lows are from one week to the next. I want to encourage us today that in this psalm, Psalm 46, There is a word to us about laboring for significance. There's a word to us about laboring for significance. You know, Jesus, in the life that Jesus lived, he had people around him all the time. And uh, he uh, had to get away from them. People were touching him, and he was wanting to reach out and touch and heal them and encourage them. And so you could sort of see a chaotic scene going on in a lot of different kinds of places wherever Jesus was. Is this the Messiah? Is he the healer guy, or what can he do? And so a lot of times we don't think about Jesus clocking in and clocking out. He just lived his life. But Jesus had a job. He was sent here for a purpose. And you find that kind of purpose coming through in something like Matthew 9, 35. So I want to turn us there. It says this, Jesus went through all the towns and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Jesus is going around, and what does Jesus identify? Some of the very same things that you and I identify. Maybe it's in our schools. Maybe it's in our neighborhood. Maybe it's on the television screen as we look at places around the world. But there are individuals who are in need. And so he says there's people who are harassed and helpless. There are sheep without a shepherd. Somebody ought to do something about the needs that are there. Well, he was there to do something about that. And his work was not only to heal and touch people, but to transform them and to bring them into relationship with him and his kingdom's purpose. But then he starts to look around. He says, oh my goodness, there's a lot of people. A lot of people that have needs and 
and wants and hurting. There's people that are harassed. And, and I could take you on a trip, not only in our own valley, in our own part of Southern California, but I could take you on a trip around the world into the desolations of some of the places. People that are broken and, and needy and hungry and, and homeless. Sometimes we just don't want to hear about all that. People that are illiterate, people that don't have any hope, people that are being under the guns of terrorists this very hour. Is that our concern? Should it be our concern? I'll tell you, if you desire to be a faithful follower of Jesus Christ, then your heart needs to be burdened about what Jesus' heart was burdened about. And Jesus was burdened about the helpless and the harassed, people without a shepherd in their life. And so he looks into the harvest fields and he says, man, the, the harvest is ready. You know, as I have sort of changed my analogies around here, it's heading towards harvest season back in the Midwest with corn and soybeans. But here it's what type of season for harvest? Grape season harvest, right? End of August through November. I'm learning these things, see? What do you think, huh? And you go, oh, my goodness, look at the, the, the vineyards. They're, they're, they're ready to be picked. Bring in the harvest. Well, there's one person. There's another person. But the sense of, well, there's such a great harvest. We need workers. We need workers. Now, in another translation, uh, New King James translation, says the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out laborers into his harvest field. It's good to have the youth in here today. I want you to know that my youth pastor, when I was your age, and actually as I started to serve um, in youth ministry with my college and career ministry, um, he started a ministry after I went to graduate school And that ministry is called Kingdom Building Ministries. And their whole goal is to raise up laborers for the harvest. In fact, he sent out a a Facebook video this week, and it was funny because I had to smile. It's like, that's Dwight, man. Dwight's out there seizing on the opportunity. It's Labor Day weekend, so what? We need to have more laborers in the harvest. Workers. Jesus was mindful of the work. Jesus went to work. And Jesus was enlisting more people in that work. What is that work? That work is to rescue and help people that are harassed and helpless. People that do not have someone to teach and encourage and shepherd and be involved in their life. There's a great harvest. There's a great harvest. But there is a need for more workers. There's um, another passage just in John 17 I want to give reference to. In John 17, it says this in verse 3. Now this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. And you know what this is? This is a prayer. This is Jesus' prayer uh, before he goes to the cross. I have brought you glory on earth by finishing the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your presence with the glory I had with you before the world began. What's his mind preoccupied with? There's the work. What's the work? That everybody may be able to behold the glory of God as it exists in eternity. That work is ongoing. It is a labor we'll be a part of. And we are to actively seek God's, not just his blessing, 
I would say, his conviction in our life to be about that sense of work. Because there is a great need. I don't know, um, sometimes we end up being fanned asleep by one changing of generation to the next. Actually, there are times when I watch the news on television, I'm going, how did we get to this place in our world? But there's a sequential movement in many parts, especially in the Western North American world and Western Europe, away from being mindful of eternal things. Ravi Zacharias in his book, Recapture the Wonders, says this, and for the students that are here, uh, this goes back to when your parents were students. In the 1950s, kids lost their innocence. They were liberated from their parents by well-paying jobs, cars, and lyrics and music that gave them rise, that gave rise to a new term, the generation gap. In the 1960s, kids lost their authority. It was a decade of protest. Church, state, and parents were all called into question and found wanting. Their authority was rejected, yet nothing ever replaced it. In the 1970s, kids lost their love. It was the decade of me-ism, dominated by hyphenated words beginning with self. Self-image, self-esteem, self-assertion. It made for a lonely world. Kids learned everything there was to know about sex and forgot everything there was to know about love. And no one had the nerve to tell them there was a difference. In the 1980s, kids lost their hope. Stripped of innocence, authority, and love, and plagued by the horror of a nuclear nightmare, large and growing numbers of this generation stopped believing in the future. In the 1990s, kids lost their power to reason. Less and less uh, were they taught the very basics of language, truth, and logic, and they grew up with the irrationality of a postmodern world. And now in the new millennium, kids woke up and found out that somewhere in the midst of all this change, they had lost their imagination. Violence and perversion entertained them till none could talk of killing innocents since none was, none was innocent anymore. That's a pretty good description of some of the journey of the last number of decades. We live in a place and time that is in desperate need for people to find the hope in Christ. In fact, maybe you're here this morning, you're saying, I'm not even quite sure why I'm here on this Labor Day weekend. I'm adrift. There's a lot going on. There's a lot I'm concerned about. There's a lot of brokenness in my life that I don't even want to tell anybody. I want you to know that it matters to God. You matter to Him. And He has a plan and a purpose for your life. Even if it seems so dark, that you might think that that life's not even worth keeping. And as we labor, not only in the harvest fields around the world in our communities, but foremostly, I believe, in the harvest field of our own homes, may we find ourselves raising up a generation of people who are mindful of what's important and what ultimately needs to gain our attention as we work and labor in this day and in this age. You know, I sometimes maybe I think I think too much about things of ultimate importance and significance. In fact, my wife will sometimes tell me that. Lighten up. Be easy. Enjoy life. And I, I do enjoy life. 
but there's an urgency that I gained when I was actually in student ministry or as a student. I wanted my life to have significance. I wanted my life to have a purpose. I wanted my life to be more than just finding its way through with, you know, uh, clock and time. In James, it says this. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Wow. Think about that. My wife is not here today. She's with uh, uh, my uh, Down syndrome son, Levi, at a family camp for Down syndrome families up in the mountains. Pretty cool. And uh, I'm excited about that report when they come back. And um, I was thinking about how to describe this verse. And I'm like, well, it doesn't really get cold down here, but it does get cold in the mountains, doesn't it? All right. So you have some perspective if you've lived here your whole life, right? Well, growing up in a weather environment where there's a lot of cold, you're mindful that on a, uh, a day you walk out, you know it's cold when you can see your breath, right? And so this is sort of descriptive of life, how long life is. It's like a vapor that's there for a couple seconds, and then it's gone. That's life. Life is the vapor. It's, it's like a mist that appears for a little while and then it vanishes. We have eternity. Eternity is huge. It's big, right? And we're living in the vapor of the moment. But so many times we try to take this vapor as if this vapor is all that there is. This vapor is where I'm going to find my happiness. This vapor is where I, I, I got to get, you know, the better this, the better that, the enjoy this, that kind of thing. And, and all that's fine. God calls us to enjoy the vapor moments. But it's just a vapor. A moment in time of eternity. And are you going to define your life by the vapor? Or are you going to define your life by the eternity? They say, people that work with men, and by the way, I'm, I'm, I'm rocked. I'm ready for us men to meet here at 7 a.m. Saturday morning. And I'm, I'm, we're finishing at 7.59. Even if I'm not done, you can be done. 7.59, because I don't want any excuses like, oh, my goodness, i got things to do on Saturday. We'll say 7 to 7.59. And, and we're going to go through these seven questions that rattle around in men's minds and have some interaction and have some nice hang time and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, so this whole men's thing's been, and been hanging with me more. And it's said people that do men's studies say that something happens with men at the age of 50. They're around about. And I, it's, it may be true of women too or whatever. But you begin changing the question in life. You begin changing the question from what is success to what is significant. You start moving your passion to saying, you know, hey, I, I've, I've lived these years, done a little bit of this, a little bit of success here. But then it's like, wow, there's, there's like an end game here. This life could be seen as a vapor. And is my life have any significance to it? And for some of us that start asking those questions when we're 18 and 20 and 25, that's why we're real pain to be around probably. And probably a pain to be married to because I want my life to have significance and importance. 
I just don't want to say, oh, I was successful there, successful there, right? And so this is what Scripture is getting at in many different dimensions and what Jesus was mindful of is he came from eternity into the vapor and he began to work and to encourage and wrestle with us. And so I just want to throw out a few questions today and this is the first one and this is for all of us, not just for the men, but are you moving from success to significance? Are you moving from success to significance in the trajectory of your life and where you place your labor? And on the heels of that question, I want to begin moving us to the psalm that we read. And I want to ask you this question. Do you practice stillness and reflection? Do you practice stillness and reflection? The pace of life, the hurried pace of life, is common to everyone in this room. And it's not common to everyone in this room. I believe it's been common unto generations of people who have passed through this world, especially in the culture where there are so many options and so many opportunities and so many things we can fill our vapor with. And so we hurry along. We scurry from one season to the next. Oh, it's it's uh, end of summer with the Labor Day weekend. Fall, oops, kids back in school. We got things to do. And we just continue to move from one season to another. But the scriptures call us to make sure that in the midst of our busyness, that there is not a life lived with hurriedness. You can be busy without being hurried. Psalm 46, verse 10, it said this, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all of the earth. What the text says is that there is a life-revolutionizing impact that comes to us when we understand God's supremacy in all the world and his inevitable triumph over all the nations and of his glorious coming of his kingdom and righteousness and hope. And so it says, be still and know that I'm God. It's not just like, oh, be quiet. Stop being so busy. Don't be so hurried. Just slow down, settle down, and just sit and meditate. No. Be still and know that I am God. You are letting your thoughts go somewhere and your thoughts are going to who God is and that God in the span of eternity, he will be exalted among all the nations and he will be exalted in all the earth. And as you begin to contemplate on God's greatness and his supremacy and his kingdom and all that he's doing, the scriptures teach us, it begins to right-size the world and it right-size your life and it starts to call you into a presence with him that you and I desperately need to live and function at a healthy level in life and ultimately live a life of significance and not just merely pursuing success. But do we get alone with God and find the realities coming to us that he would like to speak? Yeah, I'm glad the women's retreats, what, a couple, three? I've, it's in October, right? Yeah, life's moving, right? And the men, we got a retreat coming in the spring. And um, students, you end up doing retreats and things like that too, I know. 
There's something about a retreat that Satan doesn't, Satan doesn't like. You know what I'm saying? For a man, for a woman, for a student to take the Bible and to take a notepad and get alone with God and creation, some margin, smartphones put away, no signal there, and spend time with God. God's faithful. He begins to speak. He begins to reveal to you as we let the scripture roll over us, as we just spend time praying to him, as observing his universe. Be still and know that I am God. I am the one who is exalted among all the nations, and I will be exalted among all the earth. And the, the overwhelming realities of like human lostness and the decadence of one generation to the next or, or the uh, horrific um, evil that you find in different pockets of the world begins to be right-sized and you find the hope and God begins to speak to you that he is still in control and he is able to deal with that which needs to be dealt with in this world. Be still and know that I am God. Are you moving from success to significance? Do you practice the stillness and reflection? And then I want to just simply say this. Where is your place of refuge and strength? Where do you go when it gets scary in your life? Where do you go when you get really anxious in your life? Where do you go when you have um, health problems? Where do you go when you have financial problems? Where do you go when there's busted relationships that are happening in your world? Where do you run? Do you run to God? Or do you just give the credence of God be with me? And you really are trying to find help in other ways first. Psalm 46 then, going back to verse 1, says this. God is our refuge and our strength. An ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the seas, though its waters roar and foam and mountains quake with their surging. I got that picture there because I think that's an uh, appropriate picture. And uh, with the big waves that were happening this week because the hurricane that was way off the coast, there were some huge waves. I'm sorry I wasn't able to get there to see some of those huge waves. Maybe you did. But I understand some people just went missing because they went surfing and they never returned. Why? Because the ocean is a very dangerous place. And the waves crashing on the sea, from the sea onto the land. Many times I've pictured my life like this. How about you? Just wave after wave after wave. And you wonder, where do I go? Where's my refuge and where's my strength at? And it says that God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we should not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. If you can identify with that picture there, then you can identify with what the psalmist is trying to say here in this section of Scripture. If you're to jump down to verse 6, it says this. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. 
The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. I want you to notice here that, that the, there's similarities actually with the Hebrew between verse 3 and verse 6. It says, though its waters roar, in verse 6, nations are in uproar. It's the same Hebrew word for both those. So whether it's nature or nations, whether it's what's happening around you, maybe in a physical environment. We even had the earthquake last week up in Napa Valley, right? And the uncertainty of nature or what's common and and natural that's happening in your life or on the national scene, on the political world or other things that are happening. There's there's an uproar that's happening. Nations are in a roar. And then where it says kingdoms fall, it's actually a word that says totter or crumble. And it's the same word as what's back up with the others where it says mountains quake. So there's roaring and quaking going on in the natural realm and the nature realm and in the nation's realm. But then it comes back and in the middle part, it tries to juxtapose a different vision. There is a river, though, whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. In Scripture, there's a difference between the seas and rivers. Seas are seen as tumultuous. All right? Ships crash in seas and the, and the waves crash into the lands. It's, it's, it's ruckus. It's, it's dangerous. But rivers, rivers are seen as steady, life-giving, flourishing the ground. And so the psalmist here in a picturesque way says, this is your world probably, roaring and quaking. Be still and know that I am God. Come to the refuge of God. Let him give you perspective because with him there are rivers. There are rivers that dwell and run within the city of God in his kingdom that you and I are being called to. So then verse 8, come and see the works of the Lord. Oh, there's that word works again. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. And then the refrain again, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Now, if you're a cynic here today, you may say, oh, that's nice and well to have that in the Bible. So where's God at on the world scene today? Friends, you need to know this. God is not haggard and worried and threatening. He is broken because the hapless and helpless people. God in any moment could say it's done. He showed it time and again with Israel. This psalm was actually written during a period of the Assyrians and their upheaval with the Israelites. God can take care of his business. But his work, for whatever reason, and he's God and we're not, is not to bring it to a close, put evil in the pit of fire, and move on into eternity. He is using this season 
I believe, for us to learn what it means to draw near to him, find him as our refuge, and take on his work among the nations. If you want to have a life of significance, you need to be still and reflect. I don't need to give you instructions. I believe the Holy Spirit gives you instructions if you are a God follower, a Christ follower this morning. But you need to spend that time in stillness and reflecting on him and understanding how he is in control, even in the midst of the storms, and find your refuge in him. And as you find your refuge in him, he'll start to identify those places of significance that you need to press out into for your life. You know, for me, I could look back through a lot of times where I thought, well, is this what I'm supposed to do? Is this what I'm supposed to do? I can tell you this. When, when you do get 50, which I am a little bit more, you do start changing the questions from questions of success to significance. And many times those questions have to do with what you're leaving behind or what you would leave behind. And for me, I know that I want to leave behind four kids that have a right-sized biblical worldview that understands what it means to be a God lover and a Christ follower and someone who gives their life to his cause. I want to leave behind a wife, and I probably will because she's seven years younger than me and guys die first, right? So I want to leave behind a wife who has been loved and honored and cherished with tons of memories about us knocking it down and serving the kingdom and being there for our kids. And I want to leave behind churches. I've started to be in a few now, I guess. That are churches that have a heart not to squeeze everything out of the vapor, but to have a heart to live in light of eternity that have hearts that are drawn near to God, that know how to listen in stillness and receive from Him, and and lives that are exemplified by how they love and they serve the hapless and the hopeless people of the world and the community. I want to leave behind those kinds of legacies. There's probably much more, uh, but it, it continues to get defined here and there. What is the significance that you and I are being called to? And are we on this Labor Day weekend laboring for significance in light of eternity, or are we merely just looking for success in the midst of the vapor? You see, I think at a very young age, almost the moment after, after you commit your life to Jesus Christ and you start following him, and you could be able to fall on your face and say, God, what is it of significance you want me to do? around the world, in in different parts of this nation, whatever it may be, different people groups, what is it that you're calling me to do? And though you can't do it right away, you say, well, as I get older, it's it's been a joy to see my kids as they've gotten older take on the passion of the kingdom and the eternal things that God has dear to his heart. And I know that you, too, desire for a life of significance. And our life needs to be devoted to that. We live sometimes paycheck to paycheck. Sometimes it's a burden to clock in and clock out. But in the midst of all that, God is using you with people around you. He has called you to significance. 
Yesterday, I had the opportunity to slip up to Corona. Some friends of mine were uh, speaking at a church up there, a large church. Uh, and um, they were doing a marriage conference. The names are Justin and Trish Davis. and They're from Indianapolis. They live in Nashville now. A little bit younger than my wife and I. I remember them showing up at my church one day and I met them along the back wall. And then I found out who they were. They were the young couple that had started this church on the other side of the town that was really going gangbusters. One of these churches, you know, goes from zero to 500 with just in a couple, three years and neat things happening. And I hadn't kept abreast of their life much or really known who they were. I knew about their church. And then I come to find out that they quit. And they quit because moments before his wife came out to lead worship, before he was to preach, discovered that he was involved with somebody that was on the worship team and discovered it in the back room. I don't know how they walked through that service, but that was the last day they served in that church. But by God's grace, Justin turned his heart toward God and said, I have sinned. In the midst of trying to do some great things for God. See, this is what happens. You can shift from pursuing success to significance, but I tell you what, you can have the same problems with significance as you have with success. Where you all get caught up in self and your own pursuits and what it means, even glorifying God. They moved across town. They came to our church and they healed up there. And I had the chance to encourage them. And I remember the first moments after a couple of years where he ended up actually speaking some to our students. They've written a book, One Marriage. It's a pretty decent seller, actually, and that's why they're traveling around and speaking some now. He's actually part of a large church in Nashville on staff at a multi-site church. And I walked in yesterday. And I saw their smiling banner there and their book and, and some other stuff. And, yeah, the whole evangelical jet set work, well, I know that. But they were seeking to be faithful to God. And they're there all weekend. He's actually preaching there this morning. And I thought, the power of God's redemption. But God redeemed that marriage and the three boys that they have. And we journeyed together in life for a number of years until they stepped back into vocational ministry. It was great to see him. I gave him a hug. My son, Ryan from APU, he came down to see him because he was influenced strongly by, because they got involved in youth ministries and had influence in his life. And I am so, so glad that Justin, on the night after and the weeks after, he got still before God. And he says, I want my life to have significance and I'm not going to live life for this vapor even though there's the fleeting temptations of what that affair and other things meant to him. And I see them building a life of significance and to sit at BJ's brew house yesterday and just talking about our kids and the legacies and what we desire to do and the ups and downs still. Friends, if you are at a place, whether it's of sin or just weariness in your life, 
I'm asking you to choose significance, not mere success in this world. Live life for eternity, not the vapor. Go to him as your place of refuge and strength and let him realign your life so that you will labor for significance in your life. So I close with this simple statement. In moving from success to significance, practice, practice, practice. Put it on your schedule if you have to. Practice stillness and reflection by seeking the God who is your present refuge and strength. No one, I believe, of eternal significance lives a life without stillness in the presence of the one who's the refuge and strength. Why did Jesus, amidst his busy work schedule, always have to withdraw to lonely places? Because he was dependent upon the Father, sustaining him for the work. He was dependent on the Father for speaking to him the instructions for the hour. And if that's true of Jesus, then, friends, it's certainly true for us. Let's pray. I was thinking through how to pray in conclusion this morning. And uh, I want to make an opportunity for you to acknowledge your need before the Lord. You may be at one of those defining places in your life where there's some choices that need to be made so that your life goes on a trajectory of significance, ultimate significance. And this may not be for everybody here. Of course, we all desire that. But maybe it's something in the last few weeks or something that God really convicted you about here this morning and you feel a need to acknowledge that before God. I'm going to ask you to just consider standing in the presence of the Lord saying, I am at that place where the storms are raging. They may be raging on a personal front. They may be raging on a a sense of just despair about the world around you or the world at large. But you say, I need the peace of your river in my life. I need to move away from some of the pursuits that are merely living life for the vapor, and I need to recalibrate my life according to eternity, to your supremacy, Jesus, and to your kingdom. If you are in that place this morning, and and, and it may just be two or three or a handful of people, and you want to acknowledge that before God and be mindful as we close in prayer, just stand where you're at saying, that's me. Several. Anyone else? Our Father God, we draw near to you. 
in this moment of stillness and reflection. We long to know the peace that comes from your presence. And the hope that comes from the river of life that you give. Lord, we pray one for another in the midst of this body here. That you would be with these individuals as they hear your voice. As they find that place of refuge and strength. And Lord, may you be clear. I don't know how you speak different ways at different times with different people. But Lord, will you speak and give them affirmation and also instruction. And Lord, I pray that you would enable them in this coming labor day even, as well as the weeks ahead, that you would enable them to find routine places of stillness and quietness. That they would know that you are God. So, Lord, bless them, strengthen them, sustain them, lead them into a fresh dimension, a fresh sense of significance for you and your kingdom's work. Lord, for all of us, may you sustain us in that manner. May you draw near to us in the daily mundane things of life as we live out these few days, these few years you give us for your glory and for your praise. You may be seated. Amen. 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 I could not let a Labor Day weekend go by without talking about the most important labor. Lord, we do pray that you would send out laborers into the harvest field. You, this week, are commissioned again, not by me, but by the Holy Spirit to go to the hapless and helpless people, sheep without a shepherd. Invest your lives in lives that will live forever. Amen? Chris, will you come and we will close with a song. I want to say this this morning. We're going to give more opportunities for you to have prayer with someone. Uh, we put some chairs in the back corner and around um, over in this direction. If you want to have somebody pray with you, um, Mike Smith is going to be back there and we're going to build a team of people just to pray with individuals after service because a lot of time the work just doesn't get finished right away and then there's a song and then you're out the door. Sometimes you need to linger and deal business with God and sometimes even seal in a time of prayer a decision that God's leading you to or have at least someone lay hands on you and pray for you. And maybe it's a place in life, maybe it's a physical touch or whatever, but don't hesitate. We'll get a sign someday that here says that's a prayer area, but we want you to know that you can be prayed for today if God's spoken to you. The ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and offerings as well as the connection cards. Let's lift our song to Him, for indeed He is a God to be exalted among all the nations.